If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the, the Gospel of Mark in the 13th chapter. We're going to continue in a message that I've entitled Watch. It's been an acronym that we've been breaking down, and I want to continue tonight in it. I want to actually finish it tonight in a teaching that we understand that there's a day and an hour that I believe the watchmen are rising. Somebody say amen. We have to, we have to be conscious of what our eyes are focusing on. In Mark 13 and verse 33, you can go there with me in your Bibles. It begins with a declaration. Watch Mark 13 and 33. It says, "Take heed, watch." Everyone say that word, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going into a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and the commanded and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Somebody say watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening or at midnight or at the coming crowing of the rooster or in the morning, least he comes suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, Everybody say it with me, the last one, one, two, three, watch, amen. The word watch is emphasized multiple times in this passage of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 16 and 13, it says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Can I tell you that if there was ever a day and an hour that I believe the church needs to watch, stand fast, be brave and be courageous, it's now. Today is not the day for no backbone Christianity. Come on, somebody. Today is not the day for people that want to people please. Today is the day for people that fear God. Today is the day for the people that want to serve God wholeheartedly, unapologetically. This is the day and the hour where the Daniels arise. This is the day and the hour where our knees will not bow, our tongues will not cower, but we will stand on the surety of the, of the authority of God's word. We won't back up. We won't bow down and we won't apologize. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you that this is the day and the hour of God's church arising and being courageous, being bold, and being watchful. Last week as we discussed, we took that word watch, W-A-T-C-H, and we wrote it down the side of our, our, our notepads or our pens or our um, tablets or iPhones, whatever you're taking notes on. And we began to talk about what it is that we have to watch. And the first thing was the W. We have to watch our 
words. And we talked about the emphasis of the power of our words. How when God said in Genesis 1, let there be light, there was light. In an establishment, we understand that what God did, he did and framed. The Bible says in Hebrews that God framed the world together by his word. And so we understand that our words have the ability to build, but our words also have the ability to break. In accordance to Proverbs 27, that says there is the power of life and death in the tongue. And so we have to be mindful of what we are saying. And I encourage you as the body to be careful what you say in this season because your words carry weight. I said, show me your words and I'll show you your world. We have to be careful what we say about one another. We realize God does not uh, give any grace and does not play when it comes to the idea of gossip, slander, a tongue that lies and, and, and a voice that sows discord among the brethren. We went to Proverbs and these seven things the Lord, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. And of those seven, four are inconducive with the tongue. So we understand the weight of our words. And then the second thing that we talked about was the understanding that we have to watch our attitudes. Come on, somebody. Y'all met those Christians yet where their tongues or where their lips poked out, look like they've been sucking on lemons. They angry and mad all the time. You wouldn't want their Jesus if, if, if you had to have him. Come on, somebody. And we wonder sometimes why people don't want nothing to do with the church. I wonder if, if the reason why is because they've seen our attitudes in Walmart. They notice our attitudes online and social media where we want to we bless God with this tongue on Sunday, but we want to curse man with that same tongue on Monday. Do you hear what I'm teaching tonight? See, we got to be mindful. We got to watch our attitudes. We discussed how our attitudes are preferred over our aptitude. It's not what you can do, but it's the attitude in which you do it. And we understand that our attitude is directly connected to our altitude. You can only go as high as your attitude, and you'll go as low as your attitude as well. So we have to watch our words, watch our attitude. And today, I want us to look in the scriptures, and I want to tell you what I believe. If we're going to be really watchful, something that we have to watch, and scripture will confirm this. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down as we look at the T and watch. I want to tell you that we must watch our temptations. A word that you don't hear talked about and preached about much. But in Matthew 26 and verse 41, you can go there with me in your Bibles, says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. It's funny to me of the correlation of Scripture that when we are talking about watchmen, there is one thing that watchmen need to watch out for is watching and praying that you do not enter into temptation. We will discuss tonight and look on how none of us in this room are exempt from temptation. But it says this, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Leonard Ravenhill said, a sinning man will stop praying and a praying man will stop sinning. See, prayer is the ability to overcome temptation. Prayer overthrows temptation. Notice how in Matthew, we, just, we, we see the formula. He says, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. Let's be honest. Watching will get you into temptation. Am I talking to anybody? You can watch some of the wrong things. 
Come on, somebody. Your eyes can be on some wrong things. The eyes of your, uh, 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 of your life, are, oh, our windows and our doors, our openings in which things can enter into your life. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, go with me there. It says that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, my God. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I, I love the fact that in, you know, I, I got a series I've never preached, but it's just one I've worked on through the years. But I want to preach a series one time on the things that Jesus did not say. You know, in the church all the time they say, well, God won't give you any more than you can handle. That's funny because the Bible doesn't say that. Anyways. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I love the fact that in the face of temptation, we are reminded of the faithfulness of God. In the face of temptation, what did it say? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. In the face of whatever tempts you, God is faithful. Why? Because he provides a way of escape. In West Texas, uh, there's, uh, I read an article recently about rattlesnakes and how rattlesnake bites are on the rise. See, many years ago, wild hogs were brought in from, into wild Texas from Europe, and the hog population has continued to grow so much so now that they're a nuisance. But the good thing is, is the hogs have eaten a lot of the rattlesnakes, but due to them being immune to the, uh, the venomous bite, they've, they've been on this ravaging of eating the rattlesnakes. But watch this, though. Their sight is not the greatest, but their hearing and sense is one of the most powerful attributes of, uh, of the wild hog and even, even very keen to vibration. So every time that the herds of hogs are out rummaging and hears a rattlesnake, they would go off and eat it. So that's why they were consuming so many of the rattlesnakes. But now the new problem in West Texas is this, that rattlesnakes have gotten smarter and they are realizing that the bites of rattlesnakes are now back on the rise because what has happened is the rattlesnakes have quit rattling. The rattlesnakes realize that the rattle was what was identifying them, and so they quit rattling, and now the rattlesnake bites are on the rise. I want you to understand something, that temptation doesn't come with a rattle. You'll never, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost on it. You'll never know it's there until its poisonous fangs have sunk into you. Temptation does not show up with a banner saying, I'm a sin that's going to take you out. Temptation does not show up saying, I'm going to destroy your destiny. Temptation shows up without a rattle. Ecclesiastes 10 and 8 says, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoever breaketh a hedge, the serpent shall bite him. Watch this. When the hedge is down, the snakes come in. Did you catch that concept? 
That when the hedge is down, the Bible says in one translation, when the hedge is trampled, the serpent shall bite him. You have to understand something, that there is temptation in your life. You've got to watch for temptation, but there's also a hedge. There is a hedge of protection. There is a hedge that God has put around you, that if you'll be faithful to God, if you'll be faithful to his word, if you'll watch and pray, then God establishes a hedge around you. There is a hedge called prayer. There is a hedge called the word. There is a hedge called called fasting. There's a hedge of the Holy Ghost. There's a hedge of the blood of Jesus. But if you trample those things, if you don't regard those things, then the serpent enters in and great is his bite. See, sometimes we get to stomp in our convictions and get to stepping into our temptations. I said we get to stomping our convictions and stepping into our temptations. Have you ever thought that maybe Satan is just letting you get away with it so he can get you close enough to strike and sink his poisonous venom into your life? Here's a quote for you. You want a quote? You want something to put on Twitter today? Put this on Twitter. Sin fascinates, then assassinates. Sin fascinates then it assassinates. It thrills you, and then it kills you. Let me tell you something. Temptation looks really good. Come on, somebody. She looks beautiful. He's mighty and handsome. He looks like he's got it all together. Come on. Temptation is the carrot of the, of the enemy that he waves in your face, causing you to step, causing you to step, causing you to step, never realizing that just six feet away is a sheer cliff that in pursuit of the carrot, you'll fall off the cliff because sin will always show up looking good. The Bible said that the, the enemy masquerades himself as an angel of light. See, we must watch our temptations. Every single one of you in this room has certain temptations, things that you know you're tempted by, things that you know that you could easily fall prey to. Can I tell you something? Don't be ignorant. Keep your eyes on them. If you're a man that has problem with women's, my God, do not go in a room with a woman alone. Come on, somebody. If you're, if you're a woman who has problems with men or being easily tempted and lured and swayed away by men, don't find yourself in messages with just you and a man. Come on, somebody. We have to watch. We got to keep our eyes on the prize. The fourth thing that we must watch, you ready? I believe these go hand in hand. If we're going to watch our temptations, the fourth thing we must watch is our character. You know, it's been said that character is what you do when nobody is watching. Romans 5 and 3 out of the English Standard Version says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. The reality of it is, in the life of believers, many of us think that we're going to establish character by what we don't have to go through. But the Bible paints a different picture that your character is actually produced in a whole lot of pressure. Come on, somebody. Character is only refined when you could have... Oh, come on. Character is only refined when you could have told your side of the story, but you chose not to. Character is only, only truly shown when you could have killed Saul, but you didn't. Come on, somebody. Character is truly established when you had every right to swing back, but you 
kept your fist to yourself. Character is when everyone would have commended you and said, I too would have done that too, but you chose not to. See, the Bible says that it is in suffering that produces endurance, and endurance produces character. You do understand that suffering comes before character ever does. Galatians 5 and 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Catch that. Self-control. Self-control. Colossians 3 and 12 says this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Be thankful. Proverbs 28 and 6 says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. There is something of value to somebody that knows how to keep their name. The Bible says that if any man desires the position of a bishop, that he must be without reproach that he must be in a position of without blame. In other words, he must be temperament. He must not give himself to wine. He, he must be the husband of one wife. And it, but there's multiple things. And every one of those things are conditions of character. And what we have to realize is that if we're going to be what God's called us to be, we don't get to be what God's called us to be by what people see on the platform. We get to be what God's called us to be when nobody's around, when nobody's watching, when you're at the house alone and Skinamax is on at 2.30 in the morning, but you choose to go to TBN. Come on, somebody. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's a 90s term. That's a 90s term. Only those that went through the 90s, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm going to give you the last thing we got to watch and I'm done. We've got to watch our words. We've got to watch our attitudes. We've got to watch our temptations. We've got to watch our character. But I believe when we watch all of this, then we're ready to watch this, the last thing. Lastly, we must watch our households. Your household is your greatest earthen treasure that you possess. Your family is greater than any platform, and it's greater than any position. Your family is God's gift to you. He said it is not good for man to be alone. Let me tell you one of the greatest errors of my life that I had to walk through and find out the hard way is that I thought the success of my relationship rested with how God used and moved me in services. And for the first, I would say, even five years of my marriage where I was in, where I was in complete eras, I was evangelizing and traveling. And thank God for my lovely wife who supported me even in that. The truth of it is, though, is that I was in error because I was out watching and seeing God move in everyone else's home, but yet I was forsaking my own home. 
See, and what you'll have to realize, and, and the Bible said that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? God said this, Kyle, what does it profit you to win the whole world and lose your own home? And so I began to pray, God, help me not to win the world and lose my family. Help Jamie, Harper, Adley, and Kai to have their own personal relationship with Jesus. Don't let me just be seen as daddy. Don't let me just be seen as hubby. But allow that priestly anointing to be on my life, even in my home. Help me to lead my family spiritually. What good is it if I'm seeing revival in your home, but my household is falling apart? The Bible said that a man that can't rule his own house is not fit to rule the house of God. If we're going to rule, we got to rule rule in our household. If we're going to watch, we got to watch our own household. So many people are so worried about what's going on in this house, in this house, in this house. I don't know about y'all, but I got three kids. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I got enough in my own household. I got enough. I got, I got, I got a nine-year-old, or excuse me, she's 10 now. I got a 10-year-old. I got an eight-year-old, and I got one that just turned seven this weekend. And what I'm realizing is that there are enough enemies. There are enough adversaries of hell. There is a demon called YouTube that is propagating and prophesying over, over my children's life. Death, death, death. Don't get me wrong. There's good things on there. But what I'm telling you is if you're going to be the priest of your home, you got to watch your household. You got to watch what's coming in the doors. You got to watch what's coming in through the windows. You got to watch what's speaking into your children's lives. We have to watch our household. Genesis 14 and 14, Abraham's family is kidnapped and God said, pursue them and you shall bring them back. David is at Ziklag. He lost his family and God said, go after them and you shall recover them all. Acts 16 and 31, we find with the jailer, and they said unto him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. What am I telling you? Scripturally, God cares about our homes. If God cares about our homes, how much more should we care about our homes? God told Abraham, go after them. God told David, go after them. But see, now we got families that the devils of hell are dragging our families away, and there's nobody going after them. There's no conviction and compelling to run after the lives of our children, to run after the lives of our spouse. When we see those of whom we love being led astray, it is our job as Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians to go after, to watch out, to be watchmen on the wall of our households. We have to stand and prophesy in our homes. We have to stand and preach in our own homes. I don't say that lightly because I understand that it seems as though the hardest to win are those that you live with. It's an understanding that everyone in the ministry and everyone in church sees your deity, but everyone in your home sees your humanity. Everyone in the cities around you knows you as prophet knows you by your anointing, but everyone in your hometown knows you as carpenter. I understand that the difficulty is often in the establishment of not just the anointing publicly, but also privately. 
And I'm telling you that if we're going to be watchmen, we have to learn how to watch and contend in our households. We have to, Jesus has to be somebody that we don't just worship on Sundays and worship during the week, but Jesus has to be the centrality of our talks at dinner time. My God, let's bring back family prayer at the dinner table again. Let's bring back the blessing. Let's not just consume our food, but let's be intentful to teach our kids to pray. The simplicity of watching over our household, it's an establishment of understanding that God is here in your home, wherever you live. The Spirit of God is present. Listen to me, even if you don't have kids, young married couples, singles, I'm telling you that if you are a good steward with what God has given you now, the Bible is true that he will entrust more to your care. Joshua 24 and 15 says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourself this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. Psalms 103 and 17 says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Do you understand that when you become a watchman over what God's entrusted to you, that it is generational? What if you're serving God not just for the children you have, but what if you are serving God for your children's children? What if you are serving God not just for who God has called you to be, but for the legacy of lineage that God has connected to you? What if Kyle Meyer is a first-generation preacher because there is a third-generation preacher now going to come through my bloodline that will help lead the Great Awakening? I don't know, but I've got to be watchful over my household, and I've got to be consistent in the calling of God. Psalms 127 verse 3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, and they will not be put to shame when they contend with the opponents in court. I want to share a story with you that actually happened here in Sumter. I was preaching a revival at Meadowbrook Church of God just off of the boulevard over 10 years ago. And the pastor at that time was Pastor Ron Lee, and he came to me. Me and Jamie were down in town. It was just me and Jamie. We were living large, y'all. We had it going on. We were in the midst of building a house. We were living in a 24-foot camper back in Edgefield, South Carolina, and we were living large. We were eating steak every night at the campground, 300 bucks a month. It was our Wi-Fi, our internet. It was our internet. It was our electricity. It was our water bill, everything, 300 bucks. The problem is, is we were young and married, and we'd get in an argument, and there was only one little curtain that separated the cab from the back, and so we'd get in an argument. I'd go in there. I'd sling the curtain across, and I to holler out through the curtain, I can still hear you breathing. She said, well, why don't you quit? Breathing is what she was trying to tell me. <laughs> but I went down to Meadowbrook and I preached a revival. And Pastor Ron came to me after service, and I'm saying this because there's some of you that need to hear this tonight. And he asked me, he said, he said, brother, he said, when are, when are you and Jamie going to have kids? And I said, brother, we're not. We ain't having kids. I said, you got to be crazy. I said, you mean us have kids 
in this day and this hour? You think that I'm going to bring kids into this world for them to be subject? And this was 10 years ago, y'all. I, I had no clue of the world that they would be coming up in. But I said, I said, you think, you're, you think we're crazy? Us bring kids into this world? As crazy as it is, as chaotic as it is, you think we're going to interject kids into this kind of warfare in life? No, we're not. Pastor Ron looked at me, he said, but brother, he said, what if your kids are the only element of light in a dark world? I was cut to my heart. Who am I? to stand and say no to God. And anybody that knows my kids now, I'll tell you every one of them are extremely special. Every single one of them is undeniably anointed and called. Some very hard-headed, but still anointed. Because <laughs> the gifting and calling is without repentance. But I see now, some of them have even begun to activate their ministries. And I see now, Lives that have been changed. Harper was two years old. It was prophesied when she was over in the womb of her mother that she'd be the prophet to nations and the dust of many cities would be upon her feet and she'd have a ministry of love. She was two years old. She went into a crisis pregnancy center and there was a mama that was sitting there debating whether or not to have abortion or seek help. And Harper unknowingly climbed in the lap of that mama. The mama sitting in the foyer began to just weep and cry. And Harper held her and hugged her. We didn't stop her because we felt like Harper knew something that we didn't know. We would later find out that that woman would testify and she said, there's no way that I can have an abortion and bring death to something as precious as a child. What am I saying, church? That your household is your most important treasure. What am I saying, church? That there are people here in the sound of my voice and you're saying, I don't want kids. But I'm telling you, who are you to stand before God and say, we won't allow you to re release your light through their lives. Who do we think we are to say no to a God who commanded us in Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Stand with me all over the house. Proverbs 12 and 7 says, The wicked are overthrown and, no, and are no more. But the house of the righteous. Can y'all pull that scripture up? I'm in Proverbs 12 and 7. It says, The wicked are overthrown and are no more. But the house of the righteous stands firm. The wicked are overthrown and are not no more. But the house of the righteous stands firm. God has called us to be watchmen. We have to watch our words, our attitudes, our temptations, our character. And when all of that is established, God entrusts to us the most powerful and precious possession, our households. Search our heart, O oh God. 
And if you find any unclean thing within us, take it from us. But take not your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are pleasing and honorable, full of character and integrity in your presence. God, help us to watch our words, knowing that we were created in your image. And if we're created in your image, we possess your attributes, knowing that you formed and framed the world by your words. God, help us to recognize that we are building or we are breaking whatever we are speaking. God, I would ask you to search our hearts and check our attitudes. Father, I'm reminded of my daddy telling me as a young boy, son, I'm going to give you an attitude adjustment. Father, because my attitude was out of line. Lord, give your church an attitude adjustment. Correct, rebuke, and recalibrate our attitudes to mirror your heart. Father, place the hedges of holiness around our hearts to protect us from the temptations of this world. God, as a minister, I'm not dumb. I'm not ignorant to the enemy's devices. God, I know even in my own life that the enemy has set many snares in my path, hoping, watching, wishful, everything connected to me God I understand that everywhere in this room every single one of us has some sort of temptation Father help us to be watchful help us to guard our hearts and lean not into our own understanding but in all of our ways let us acknowledge you you'll direct our paths Father I pray That it's not what we do when everyone's watching, but it's what we do when we're all alone and it's just you. Help us to be mindful of our character. God, you care about character. You establish character. You build character. so does everything that we walk through in life. Father, I believe that we can truly be the watchman that you've called us to be. And we watch our words, our attitude, our temptations and character. And then you entrust to us our life's greatest possession, our households. It's our beautiful wives and handsome husbands. It's the laughter of children that a world is devouring desiring to destroy. Help us be the kings and the priests of our own homes. Help us to watch and pray. Help us to rule and to reign. Help us to have dominion and authority in our homes. Send a revival to the family altar, God.